Margin Call is the podcast that gives you behind-the-scenes access to the ups and downs of working in the Forex CFD industry. We interview the people that keep the show on the road, giving you insight into what makes the industry tick. The series is guest-hosted by myself, Jordan Michaelides, and produced by the team at Neural Media. To learn more, visit gomarkets.com.au slash podcast. That's G-O-M-A-R-K-E-T-S dot com.au slash podcast. Or take a look at the Go Market suite of products at gomarkets.com.au. Go Markets is a derivatives broker and Jordan Michaelides is the managing director of Neural Media. All opinions expressed by Jordan and podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Go Markets, an AFSL license holder. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for financial decisions nor as an indication of future performance. Clients of Go Markets may hold positions in the derivatives mentioned. A financial services guide and product disclosure statement for our products are available at gomarkets.com.au. In this episode, we spoke with Sophie Gerber. Sophie is the founder of Sophie Grace, a legal and compliance consultancy, and co-founder of Traction Fintech, a regulatory technology business. Sophie is a leader in the space of legal and compliance in the finance industry within Australia, publishing regularly across the, the spectrum of topics within the industry. The breadth of both businesses, whether it's Sophie Grace or Traction Fintech, clearly highlight the array of Sophie's knowledge in this space. And her blog posts are quite brilliant in their ability to sort through the weeds that must exist within this sort of legal and compliance industry. Uh, This chat with Sophie was a really interesting look into her background, plus the state of legal and compliance in Australia, particularly with the Royal Commission happening. Uh, We covered a lot of topics, including the royal family, uh, starting Sophie Grace, common mistakes with new financial businesses, the Royal Commission, how the industry could change for the better, time management and her role at Traction Fintech. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode, do subscribe on your podcast app and consider sharing with one of your friends who may enjoy these sort of topics. Uh, But with that being said, let's get into the episode with Sophie Gerber. Sophie, thank you for joining on what is, I think, a lovely day in Sydney, I believe. Beautiful (laughs) day. Now, we were debating before about icebreakers, Anglophile versus the Kardashians. What are you you a bigger fan of, the Kardashians or things like the royal family? I'm definitely a royal family girl. I definitely don't have any interest or knowledge about the Kardashians. Okay. What, what is it that you like about the royal family? Um, I find actually the concept of people like Meghan Markle and Kate Middleton marrying into that sort of structure quite interesting. I think when I was younger there was something idealistic about it, but now as I get older I just find it very curious that you'd want to give up all of your freedom and personality to enter into this institution and live like that in a box. Yeah. But I think it's still and will always be a mystery to everybody and I think when you're younger, every young girl thinks they want to be a princess but then you get older and you realise 
actually life can be really fantastic. Yeah. Uh, not inside a box. So I find I just find it very intriguing, especially the recent editions. Yeah. Um, well, so their rationale was I, I found it super fascinating. I remember talking to my fiance about it. What what would how would you ever consider being a royal? And um, I, I know in a heartbeat that I would never want to be that sort of famous. It it would just be uh, one a strange life because most people know that it means not much. It's just you know you were born into a certain situation, but also the the celebrity that comes with it is is strange because you know you have to be perfect in the limelight, which is which is really odd. And I think. I think listening to a few interviews, most of them rationalise it that, uh, particularly like Meghan Markle, that they can have it's impact. A for good, yeah. yeah. They can have impact of some kind, which I found intriguing. But you know, each to their own, I guess. Now, your early life—you grew up in Sydney. Yes, I grew up in Sydney, and I think I'll die in Sydney because okay. um, I really like Sydney. But yeah, I've certainly done a lot of travel over the years so I wouldn't say that I'm stuck here necessarily but it's always a good place to come back to yeah and do you what's sort of the earliest memory of your childhood in Sydney you know what the other day I was thinking about how my parents gave me a pogo stick and then I was (laughs) googling whether adults can buy pogo sticks and I have the page still up on my uh, phone so that one day when I'm feeling extra brave, I'm going to buy myself an adult pogo stick and take it down the park. I'm just looking at it now. It's about $84 to buy an adult pogo stick. Is I think it's some, a good deal. Is this something that you just buy on Amazon or is there a specific brand? That I don't tells know. It? I, I don't shop a lot online, so that's sort of the hesitation. But I I might talk to Quinn, who you're interviewing next, because he's an expert at shopping online, um, <laughs> and get him to assist me. Mm. Now, speaking of pogo sticks in childhood, is I feel that every time I interview someone, I like to understand if there's a particular lesson that their parents have imparted on them. I know that myself growing up, it's funny looking back and seeing how similar you may be to your parents in hindsight. So I'm curious, when you were growing up, is there a lesson or, or principle that you hold today that they taught you directly or indirectly at all? I would definitely say a lot of my principles come from either of my parents. I think that they probably passed on some of the things they wanted to pass on and then I think they mistakenly passed on a few others and depending on which parent you talk to, they might phrase it a little differently. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I definitely have learnt learnt good and bad things from from each parent Uh, and I try and eliminate as many of the bad things as I can but obviously... You're born with some things um, and then <laughs> life helps bring them out. But i tell you one thing. My mum, when anything sort of exciting or interesting or fun happens, she rubs her hands together and I don't know, like, if you can hear that, <laughs> rubbing your hands together. She does that. I do that. And then when you go to Christmas with my aunts, they do that too. Really? So we have this family thing when when we get excited we rub our hands together a little family tick (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i i think from my end it's it's um the incessant one-eyed focus on work to the point of becoming agitated which i almost certainly inherited from my father 
Um, Can you only see out one eye or? <laughs> uh, no, two, two eyes, but I get that terrible, terrible tunnel vision. It's, okay. uh, it's very hard to, to jump out of. Um, mm. Now, through my sleuthing online, I was able to, to learn a bit more about your early career and studies. So, you're essentially a solicitor. So, you did com law, you're admitted as a solicitor in New South Wales. Are you, yeah. are you doing Masters of Law at the moment or have you completed that? I've actually just completed it last semester, but okay. I still have to graduate. Right. It's, okay. it's been a little bit of a discussion with the university because it did take me nearly 10 years to do the Masters of Law because I, wow. I'd failed to enrol for stretches at a time. So then I at one point I had to re-enrol so it's sort of, you know, when these university systems, so then I had two enrolments going and I had to merge them. But now we've got to the point where they're ready and accepting that it's time for <laughs> Sophie to graduate and then I'll be able to update my website and to say Masters of Law. So I noticed that you started Sophie Grace in 2009 and then obviously yeah. Traction Fintech was 2015, I believe. Yeah. So I'm curious, were you, did you go straight into Sophie Grace or were you doing anything between then? What was sort of happening there? So I had a number of jobs during university and then straight after university. So I worked at Westpac Bank and Commonwealth Bank wow. and also Macquarie Bank. Then I went across to a funds management business and it was after some time at the funds management business and I'd finished university and graduated from law that I decided to start the consulting uh, with Sophie Grace and so I phased out that job and they were quite supportive of that Mm. um, and remained a client for some time actually. Um, So, yeah, phased out of my my job and into doing the Sophie Grace business. Okay. And what was sort of the catalyst for Sophie Grace, was it simply you wanted to work for yourself or something else entirely? Um, It was working for myself. It was creating a different sort of role. The role I had uh, in-house, there's a lot of advantages to being in-house compared to, say, being in a a law firm. Even though some people might say I can be a little antisocial, I do actually prefer (laughs) talking to people than not talking to people Um, and just sort of the change and, and the different challenges that come through with what we do now, I've found more interesting than sort of the routine of, of, of running a business and, and helping with the, the in-house legal. So I definitely don't don't regret it at mm. all. And, and how similar was that role at, at organisations like Westpac, the law firm, Macquarie? Was it fairly similar to what you do now? No, no, quite different because, I mean, those, those are very large, large institutions um, mm. and what we do is, is really at the small business end. So you're dealing with, with the business owner. The business owner is the business manager um, mm. and I think I identify more with that. I find it more hands-on. It's not a, it's not a political game of trying to manoeuvre something to happen. It either happens or it doesn't. Um, yeah. I find that, that more interesting and, and easier but... Um, certainly everyone has different reasons for doing different things. And I can see, I can see how being in a big institution could be interesting as well. But Yeah. Oh, look, we, we find that ourselves with discovering out who is the sort of the true client for us. And 
whether that's within working in a job or running our media production business, it's, you know, eventually you find out who is the sort of client that you most enjoy working with. And I can totally understand why small businesses at times or smaller businesses as opposed to a large, you know, corporation would be more enjoyable because you're sort of there with the owner. And it, it, yeah, it, it does get less political. I have that issue now with some of our enterprise clients where it just becomes this hot mess between three or four different people trying to make decisions on this or that. So, Yeah, I mean, I've definitely, it's nearly been 10 years doing Sophie Grace. We've had some businesses that have gone from one or two people to really fantastic success stories listing on the from the stock exchange mm. or big sales to private equity. So that's definitely been a been a great path to watch that happen. Yeah. Um, but but there's a certain point as well which our firm doesn't doesn't have the we're not not a big law firm so we don't don't assist and, and we get to a point where we step away and say congratulations got this far it's really good we're actually going to go and help somebody else wow, do the okay. same journey yeah now i was curious as to how you explain what you do to people i mean you've got quite an extensive career in this sort of area of legal and compliance within specifically financial businesses it seems obviously you run sophie grace and you're a co-founder i believe of traction fintech so when, you know, let's say you sat down next to someone on an airplane, how do you explain to them what you do? Uh, first of all, I very much try and deflect from having a conversation about <laughs> what I do. Uh, but if that doesn't work, uh, then what I would say is that the Sophie Grace business, we do financial and credit licensing. So we're helping people set up businesses in the financial services space or the credit space. So that means being a mortgage broker or being a lender, being a financial advisor, uh, setting up a financial product, being a stockbroker. If you want to do any of those things or be a fund manager, we can help you set up the business so that you're properly licensed in Australia and help you continue running that business in accordance with the the requirements, which which are run by the Australian Securities and Investments Commission. And when you set these businesses up and, you know, like I've I read pretty deeply on your blog, which is, is super fascinating for, for anyone who enjoys uh, discussions on compliance and industry regulations, I do recommend checking that out because it was, it was super fascinating. And, and it's obvious that you would see a lot over the years. And I'm curious as to sort of what are the major mistakes uh, or what are the, the obvious mistakes that people or businesses regularly make when starting out and first setting out in their in their financial services business? That's an interesting one. I think the biggest mistake that you can make is being dishonest and greedy. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of that in financial services and certainly the Royal Commission is, is really showing that. What we yeah. see is, is the honest, hardworking people do best for a number of reasons. The primary one is that I do believe in an element of karma and I think dishonesty, if you put it out into the world, will will come back at you, maybe not mm. immediately. Sometimes it certainly doesn't come back on people as fast as you'd probably hope. But <laughs> um, honesty and integrity are, are really key and, and if you don't have that, definitely, first of all, don't go into business but definitely don't go into financial services. 
Yeah. I, I think when we were chatting to Chris Gore, the CEO of Go Markets, about this sort of stuff, he, he mentioned a similar thing. It, it, it was in a different way. I think he phrased it as customer service, but I think really what he was saying was the same thing. And the Royal Commission, you're right, has been super fascinating. I know you've covered certain elements of it in the blog, but we're still yet to see a lot of stuff because I think we only just had the interim report maybe a month or so ago, I think. But, you know, I found it interesting, your coverage of whether it's ASIC's assessment on ICOs or ASIC coming down hard on on license providers. I'm curious as to how you viewed the Royal Commission in Australia and and maybe just give uh, like a two-minute summary on what the Royal Commission is for the international audience as well. Sure. The Royal Commission, I actually haven't watched a lot of it. I know that a lot of people have watched a lot of it. My feeling is that I've, I've spent 10 years watching all of this, so I actually don't need a summary um, uh. to be played for me 24-7 um, <laughs> for, for 2018. I'm, I'm quite aware of, of who the people are and, and what the issues are. And I think for a lot of people in financial services, none of it's been a surprise. Um, yeah. So, I mean, what, what it is, is is the government looking into the, the behaviour and the conduct in financial services um, because what's come out and, and a lot of it, I think a lady called Adele Ferguson, who, who's a journalist, has, has really been quite militant in the newspapers in, in exposing a lot of um, poor poor conduct, especially around financial planning. And some of the biggest issues have been around the way financial planners have become aligned with banks. And so they call it vertical integration, which is <laughs> basically a bank financial planner recommends a bank financial product. And there's no independence between what recommending what's what's best for you and your finances uh, and what is effectively them selling their own product. Mm. So mostly a lot of it really stems from that and there not being a level of, of professionalism in financial services, especially in financial planning, which has meant that there's no professionalism so they're not professional and they don't behave with, with integrity. It's, it's um, you know, as a lawyer you have to de- declare any conflicts and disclose them and if you your client's not happy then you, you walk away from that case. And most lawyers would just walk away without even disclosing it and asking for permission to continue running the case. They'd just say, I'm conflicted. I can't help you go and find somebody who doesn't have a conflict. Same yeah. with, with doctors. They don't they don't sell drugs at the at the doctor in Australia because there's a conflict there between the sale of drugs and, and the giving of impartial medical advice. So mm. we just need to get to a position where that, is how financial services happens as well. Yeah, I, I, I would 100% agree with that. I think it needs to get to a situation where to get into this space, it, you've got to spend a significant amount of time studying, changing the ethics of the industry as well will be a key element, I think. Um, I actually interviewed, uh, it was Gary Weaven, who used to be chairman, just retired chairman of Industry Super, um, Oz Super and IFM Investors. And he was talk we were talking about this in particular, and he thinks that, you know, the idea of commissions in the industry is is one of the worst things ever invented. Um, because the incentives are completely misaligned with the client. So 
It's funny you said that you've been seeing this stuff for years um, and you don't need a Royal Commission to tell you what was already happening. What then would you like to see change about the industry? It, it's definitely the, the commissions need to go. If, if the commissions went, that, that would be a huge, a huge victory. The trouble is that there's still a lot of carve-outs, but there's carve-outs and there's also enforcement, lacking enforcement. The commission, uh, call it the conflicted remuneration provisions, have been in for quite a number of years. We have difficulty explaining it to our clients to the point where they understand and they're willing to make changes to their business. So there's there's the education piece, there's the professionalising, but without commissions being completely eroded, I think the education and the professionalism will never happen because there's too many carve-outs at the moment and they're not being enforced properly. So when we yeah. when we can see that, there'll be a good change. I think, you know, it, it's like if you go to the doctor, you know you have to pay the doctor. If you go to a lawyer, you know you have to yeah. pay the lawyer. If you go to a financial planner, not so much. Mortgage broker, not so much. You don't have to pay them. The bank pays them. And so it's once people adjust their business model to reflect that they're actually going to give value and ask for money, then we'll start seeing an improvement. But until then, people can get away with poor service and, and poor quality advice because they don't actually have to ask for money from the person that they're meant to be helping. Yeah, it, it's it's so funny. That's exactly what Gary Weaven said. Is uh, it, it is strange how you go see a financial advisor of some sort and you don't pay them up front. And so I think that as well, uh, there's got to be an educational change for consumers as well, I think. Because we're we're too willing to to get something for free and, and you know not pay for it upfront when it comes to financial services a lot of the time or in most products. Oh yeah, that's that's um, been the case so far. But I haven't thought through the, the analogy perfectly. But I mean, imagine if you you came to a, a family lawyer and you said, "I'm not going to pay you, but I don't mind what you do. I'm just not going to pay you. Can you finish off my divorce?" I tell you what the lawyer's going to do. He's going to ring up your husband and say, how much will you pay me to get your divorce finalised and not have to give your wife any money? And he'll go, I don't know, whatever, 100 grand? I'm meant to give her a million, but if I give you 100 grand, can you just get it to sign? And you're going, look, the best you're going to get is $100,000. So just sign the documents. I won't charge you anything. I'll give you 100000 and you can walk away. Is that a good outcome? Yeah. That You'd be appalled if that happened on a legal sense, but that's what happens in financial services. Yeah, it's 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 very strange, but I, I think with this royal commission, it sort of it just adds um, that element of persuasion and influence in the media, which which sort of tells whether it's politicians or the general public what they sort of already knew, but gives them that third party to say, "Yep, we need to do something now." So I'm going to be very intrigued to see what happens over the next year if there is any major changes um i'm gonna have to go check out adele ferguson because i've I've not been following her work so that's quite intriguing Mm. um now looking at the industry that you've been in you know the last i guess eight to to ten years running sophie grace uh what's been the most interesting observation from your time i don't know I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm not good at boiling things down into 
one thing. It's hard to summarize 10 years, but, um, you know, like, did, did you go into the industry thinking it would be one thing and it turned out something else? No, but hmm. I guess the disappointing thing has been the extent to which the people that we've seen do very bad things or negligent things have gone unscathed. I think that's the biggest disappointment, but I think that's also come out in the Royal Commission is the extent to which people have got away with blue murder effectively. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very interesting. Now, if you, if you look at the industry again and think about uh, major changes, I think in a lot of these interviews we've had, whether it's with people from Go Markets or people from the compliance side or reporting or legal, whatever area they're in, the common trend has been that technology has changed the industry in a big way, just in the last five years alone, I believe. What do you think has been the greatest change in your area in particular of financial services? I think that the abundance of rules, I think hmm. it went, it started out, there were a lot of rules and now there's just more and more and more. I actually would be intrigued to know how I could possibly do my job if I started it now because there is just so much to read and to know about, not just from a technical perspective but from a historical and practical perspective as well, which which is a complete overlay. But I guess that's how jobs work. Someone, someone's been doing it for ages and now I've become the person who's been doing it for ages and training up staff and, and trying to as quickly as possible explain to them the history behind how things happen. <laughs> How do you keep up to date then? Do you have, does your, like I remember the days of being in accounting firms and we'd get tax people come in and do like a Friday uh, lunchtime session for two hours where they bring us up to date on the recent uh, cases or, um, you know, examples from the ATO. Do you guys have to do a lot of that sort of training regularly? Yeah, so lawyers have an ongoing training requirement and we have to sign a, a statutory declaration at the end of the year that we've done that training, but I do a lot of reading. So I read multiple newspapers, read everything that is relevant that comes through my inbox, Um, and and all of that is really important from being able to explain the industry to to explain what, what the rules are and what they mean. But as a lawyer, you have to read, I think actually most people have to read as much as they can if they they want to be in a, a client service, public-facing sort of position. Yeah, I'd 100% agree with that. Now, I'm realizing we're uh, starting to run out of time before we have to jump into some short, fast questions to finish us off. Um, we'll probably get to chat more about Traction FinTech uh, with Quinn, but I'm mm. curious as to how do you split your time? Like you, you've got these two businesses, you're a director at Traction. What does your week typically look like? So Monday to Friday, I do a lot of work. So, you know, I work from 9 a.m. till 10 p.m. or something like that. I don't tend to work on the weekends. So, yeah, I effectively do two jobs, but there is a lot of overlap between the two businesses and the client base and conceptually what what the businesses do. So that helps. Uh, it's not like I'm running a law firm and then running a 
running a shop down on Pitt Street Mall. Uh, <laughs> that wouldn't be possible. Um, so, yeah, so a lot of work, a lot of phone calls, um, do quite a lot of travel uh, because Traction has, has offices in Europe and mm. is also expanding to Asia over the next year or two. Yeah, and and your job at Traction is mainly on the compliance legal side. Like I, I assume that you're sort of directing any knowledge internally around particularly the reporting requirements, but all that sort of area, I'm guessing that's sort of your role? Yeah, so the management of the company um, here and overseas, management of, of the staff, um, and then the, the production of, of the marketing content. So blog articles, um, newsletter articles, newspaper articles, LinkedIn content. Marketing is a big job these days. So that's that's a big part of my focus as well as, as sales and, and lead generation. Yeah. Now, we need to jump into some short, fast questions to finish this okay. off. So first question, uh, what does your morning routine look like? I get up. On an ideal day, I will go and do some exercise. Then I go and sit down at the cafe on the Kirribilli Wharf and I have my breakfast there. Then I take the ferry into the city and start my day. And what about at night? You're finishing up pretty late. How do you sort of decompress at night? Uh, Usually I'm reading the newspaper and one or two books in the evening. Newspaper of choice? I don't have one, but there's newspapers that I read. I wouldn't say that there's an ideal newspaper. There's, they all leave a lot to be desired. Yeah. And if you would have, have to gift a book to the audience for Christmas, which is coming up to Christmas now, what would that book be and why? Depending on whether they're a reader or not, probably at this point what I'd give people is, is Crazy Rich Asians um, because <laughs> if you haven't read it and you haven't absorbed underlying themes you're definitely missing out so there's that book i also read an interesting one called hillbilly elegy last year which is also a good read if people haven't read that what was that one hillbilly hillbilly elegy uh so it really charts um i'd say it's the erosion of life in america yeah Yeah, that's uh, that that book I, i i just heard about that last week i was watching an interview with uh Steve Bannon, who was that uh, guy who basically led the strategy for Donald Trump's election. And so I was intrigued to pick that apart and look at a lot of his interviews and, and understand what they saw. And he spoke about that book, mm. one of the one of those books. That book in particular was uh, a core tenant of, of their strategy and understanding yeah. pain points for the for the people who voted for them. So it's very, very timely that you mentioned that book. Yeah, I think it, it really captures. I'm definitely not saying I agree with Donald Trump as no. a person. I certainly don't. But I think what a lot of people have missed, and especially I think you'd call it the baby boomers who've grown up uh, with the perception that permeates everything they do, that America is, is the greatest country on earth. That's actually not the case anymore. And mm. it's hard for people to to accept that and accept what that means. And what's that meant? It's meant that there's a crazy person in power who's actually appealing to everyone who wants to make America great again because it's not great yeah. anymore. Yeah. Well, it's it's so funny because you've really hit the nail on the head is 
I was speaking to um, a journalist about this in our other podcast about the fact that the status quo of politician didn't understand the pain points and, and all Donald Trump and Steve Bannon has done is identify those pain points and put them higher on the hierarchy. Mm. You know, like trade, who would have thought that we'd be talking so much about trade in the news about five to six years ago? Yeah. Now it's one of the, the, it is the number one issue as well as immigration. It's the same thing. I, I would not have expected, if you'd asked me five or six years ago, what's the key talking points? I would not have said these two at all. And so they've, yeah, they've really done what, sort of middle America or the middle class has been frustrated about and they've been able to articulate that well. And I think, uh, you know, the status quo politicians can learn from that. I think uh, that's been, I hope, the biggest thing over the last few years. Um, Last question for you. Best purchase under $200? My mum actually gave me a present that was under $200 and it's a foldable keyboard by Microsoft and that's a great purchase. I'm not sure if it's still available at the Microsoft shop anymore. I'm told you have to buy them on Amazon. But if you can buy the foldable keyboard, pop it in your handbag when you've got 20 minutes waiting for something to happen and all you've got is your phone, pull out your keyboard and start typing away. You can get so much done. It's fantastic. Wow. So you actually use that with your phone as well? Yeah, it tethers to your phone and then you can type out emails rather than doing it with your thumbs. (laughs) That's brilliant. Mm. Uh, that's a really good idea. Mm, it's um, fantastic. Well, look, thank you so much. We've just gone over time. Um, there's, as you know from the notes I sent you, there's uh, a lot more I would have liked to have asked you. But look, I do appreciate your time um, and, and thanks so much for doing this. No worries. Bring me back any time. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks so much. Okay. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Margin Call. Before you run off, make sure you subscribe on your podcast app to get first access to new episodes and consider sharing this with a friend who loves the Forex CFD game. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube by searching Go Markets. That's G-O-M-A-R-K-E-T-S. Until next time, thanks for listening.